Hey there, welcome to episode five of the Author Elevate podcast with Janina Polito and Amy Williams. And just FYI, this is the podcast formerly known as Own Your Unique Words. And if you're listening on Apple, I am throwing in the towel and handing this over to Amy to figure out. Because <laughs> I have done all the search engines and all the stuff, and I have no idea why that graphic is being that way. So Amy is going to fix this now. And I shall call upon my Scottish stubbornness and I will them. <laughs> Regardless, we're glad you're here. We're sorry for the confusion. We will get it fixed eventually. Yes. And whether you're joining us on a podcast platform or on YouTube, we're just so happy that you're here. Um, I mean, you might even be on our website, authorelevate.com. And uh, we're we are just thrilled to death that, that you are continuing to enjoy joy and get something out of our fun conversations because this is fun for us so we're just delighted that you are receiving something from it as well Mm -hmm. um that being said you need to make sure you're subscribed um because if you haven't subscribed you won't know when new episodes come out i have no idea where the button is (laughs) just kind of going all over the place (laughs) (laughs) so click the subscribe button so you won't miss out on anything also, major shout out to Jason McCoy, who is in the exclusive Author Elevate Mastermind on Facebook. His questions inspired our topic today and actually next week as well. So we got two episodes out of this one, Jason. Thank and you. that is one of the perks of actually being on the bottom tier of the uh, Author Elevate Patreon is in our private Facebook group, you can actually ask questions that may inspire future episodes. So our Patreon is super cool. Yes. I I was super I was so excited when we got to do one because you can uh we have it set up with three different tiers. Mm-hmm. And even the lowest one, I mean it's like what, a dollar a month? Dollar a month. Dollar a month. And that gets you into the author elevate um mastermind group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with more dollars, more dollars, you get more stuff. Mm-hmm. So like cheat sheets and worksheets and stickers and early access to episodes, exclusive, exclusive sticker, exclusive sticker, which the sticker is amazing. And I know, awesome. I know that, at, well, you know, once or twice, you might've dropped a couple of bloopers in the group as well. Oh yeah. They, those um, things happen in the group as well. And I'll be dropping some other things in there. You know. It's not like we just do this perfectly every time. There's always something that. Oh, if you're looking for perfection, you need to find a different podcast. You can go somewhere else. <laughs> the only podcast that says it's okay. You don't have to stay here. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us special weirdos. Okay. And now on to some personal author life shares. For me, I've had a book switcheroo at the last minute to a new project, which I'm now almost four whole chapters into. This- oh, This happens all the time. So look, I have, if we're talking about counting overall publications, over 25 published works, 25. And uh, so that's, that's a lot. And there's this whole myth that like, once you get us to a certain point, you are going to be like super focused and able to just boom, this is my thing. This is the next thing and I'm good for it. That is one path. That is not the only path. (laughs) I often we'll just switch between different projects um in one of my four series that i'm working on i'm not allowed to have any more because i want to finish these at some point (laughs) um and i'll switch back and forth and see which one is meant to be i'll pray over it i'll think about it and sometimes it will literally be where i'll think you know it's got to be this one and then it ends up being this one over here at the very last second and that just happens but 
it's flowing. Words are great. I'm super excited. Uh, this is going to be my second fairy tale retelling. It is a gender swapped Sleeping Beauty, and it is a hoot to write as usual. I'm so excited. So, and it is called Thorns at Sunrise because. Look, title reveals are a thing, but they're not a thing I do. It's just yeah. not my vibe. So, you know, there's your title reveal, Thorns at Sunrise. Um, and so, yeah, you can keep an eye on that. If you want uh, any other updates on that, you can just hop over to Marvelous Misfits Facebook group. But otherwise, Amy, what are you up to? Well, I am settling back into some type of a routine. I've been on the road for about oh, three yeah. weeks. So like last week, you know, we recorded in my friend's basement. So <laughs> we're we're back with my bookshelves. And they look very nice. I'm I missed my books. <laughs> um so it's nice, it's nice to be home again. Um, even though it's really, really flipping hot. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's nice to be here, it's nice to get back into a routine. Um, I guess probably the biggest news on my end is mm -hmm. that uh as a result of just some conversations that I had at the Blue Ridge Conference, I did uh, submit my nonfiction manuscript to an agency, Ooh. and they they asked to see um, my proposal for it. So I am now in the process of waiting. You are on sub. I'm on sub. Oh. So it's it, you know, we've talked about this before about how we aren't just you know, talking about all of these things, we're actively engaged in the industry and in the market and still mm -hmm. pursuing publication of our own work. And so for any of you who are in that place where you are having to wait to hear back from a publisher or an agent, we feel your pain and we yes. understand. <laughs> I caught cases, myself. I was going to say, in some <laughs> cases, we might be the cause of your pain and we are doing our best. We don't talk, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that other side that we do. But, um, and one of the things is that while Amy and I have both self-published and we run a publishing house, the thing is you're looking for the best fit for you and your book right. and the topic. And that may actually be something different than you've done before. And so if, even if you self-publish, you may have a project that you really want to, submit to an agent or to a publishing house or conversely you may have been always tried but you have a project that you really want to go indie with and that is totally fine we are very pro your publishing choices here well and like with with this this i, I had never written full like full length non-fiction mm -hmm. before it's a different and the it's a different market and it's a different strategy and everything yep. and so I knew immediately that uh, it, if at all possible, I wanted to go with the press and mm -hmm. frankly, having an agent was going to be better for that. Yeah. Um, they can open doors to different presses, to bigger presses and all of that stuff. And so, if that's what you need for this point in time, then go for it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it, everybody has their own journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now on to what's new and shiny. We're going to talk about something that I saw show up on an email a few weeks ago. I'm on Brian Cohen's email newsletter list. Brian Cohen! Uh, yay! And he had this mention of someone who did trope combos. And I was like, that is really interesting to consider a trope combo versus a mashup. Yeah, because when we started talking about it, that's what I thought you meant. Mm -hmm. So, because I had not ever heard of the difference between a trope combo and a mashup. So and I'm not sure if trope combo is the official term or if it's a term I made because it was an email I had read a couple weeks ago. So, it's what we're, Cohen, we're, we're making right. it official. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, 
Now, Brian and or the person who was referenced in this really awesome email, I don't remember all the details, but thank you so much for sending it. And uh, I just dubbed it that. So if it's, I'm not going to have any like ownership of this. <laughs> it's not my trademark. Okay. Um, but anyway, a mashup is that combining of ideas from different genres. It's not always intentional. Often you find authors kind of slink onto groups or into writing conferences and go, so I kind of realized I mashed up literary fiction with zombies with like something else, you know, like, I think I got that pitch once. Yeah. <laughs> If they come in kind of like sheepish or they come in super excited about it, but not sure where to go with it. And so it's often very author centric. It's not always done with an intention of reaching a certain audience. It's more of, I wrote this story and then I checked the genres and said, oh no, I've combined all these genres without realizing it. And that's generally really what I see of as a mashup. Um, it comes across as something that's sort of an accident or if it's intentional, it's not intentional to reach a certain audience. It's intentional because I just think those two flavors look good together. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like a mad scientist or something where you're just giving it a shot. You're not, <laughs> you're not creating it always with the readership in mind. It does. I mean, if they like it, that's great, but that's not where you first set out to do it. Now, what I've sort of dubbed a trope combo is where you look at tropes that are selling and see if you combine tropes from two selling markets into a new market that maybe is less saturated because some markets are super saturated. Like uh, if you write the trope faded mates, there's a lot of faded mates out there. Uh -huh. If you're writing, um, you know, well, zombies, there's a lot of zombie fiction out there. Yeah. And so sometimes when you can refresh a trope or put a, you know, combine another selling trope into that, you can create a wonderful new flavor that hopefully will knock the socks off readers and create a new niche that is going to like sell beyond your wildest dreams or at least help you to get noticed with fewer ad, less ad spend, which again, which is why this, I found this out in Brian Cohen's newsletter because he does Amazon ad schools and that kind yeah. of stuff. So he has a real brain for that. And that's something he focuses on a lot. So in this email, it had, um, I think it was something about Western mail order brides, which is a trope, by the uh -huh. way, it's a romance trope, combined with the idea of, you know, the stolen brides of the fae or the, the stolen bride trope, which is very oh. common in fantasy okay. romance. And so they're both romances, but one is sort of a mail order bride trope, and then one is more of a stolen bride trope and kind of putting them in the same place. And I don't have the email and I forgot the author's name. So if this is you, awesome author, you are cool. And I love seeing what you have. And yeah, you feel free to shout yourself out because it sounded really awesome. And I wanted to make sure I read that, but so, so if, if people are interested in doing this, like being real intentional about picking tropes or looking for the tropes that are selling or the, the trope based stories that are selling, what's the best way to figure that out like is there a way is there a place to go mm -hmm. to to figure out what are the most popular selling so, tropes right now the first thing i would do is probably get yourself into kalytics which kalytics which has a lot of information on amazon we're going to be putting a link down below places where their links can be had nice and so you can hop onto kalytics which is a market intelligence service that provides unique insight based on an ever-increasing wealth of data on ebooks Etc. Etc. Um, finding the best for you. Know, save time. Write more. Rank higher. It's very much the right to market area, but it's nice. a place that you can help find that. It's how to invent new genres that don't ex that may not exist yet. How you can achieve instant bestseller status that no one can actually promise you that. So, but they say these things because 
honestly, it's marketing copywriting. Well, and also <laughs> we want them. So yes. anytime someone says that, like, look, they're just trying to sell you exactly what I want because honestly, this is where you have to kind of be honest as audiences. It's very easy for us to go, oh, they're just promising you the moon. I'm like, yeah, and they wouldn't be doing that if it didn't work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't be trying to promise us Easy Street <laughs> if we weren't secretly wanting Easy Street. <laughs> Come on. I don't know anybody who's woke up in the morning or was like, I want to struggle and fight my way to success this morning. <laughs> I do occasionally, but I'm very contrary to person sometimes. So that's, I'm not normal. With I'm that. lazy. That's, <laughs> I don't want to struggle. I am lazy with a contrary streak. So sometimes if you tell, I'm the person that if you say you can't eat just one chip, I will eat half a chip and throw the other half away just because you said I couldn't eat one chip. <laughs> I'll, I'll just eat the whole bag. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Give it to you. I like chips. <laughs> so anyway, Klytics has a lot of stuff with this. They really focus on trying to find those niches and those new areas. Um, look at sales rankings, all that stuff. And of course, they charge you money for all of this. Uh, of course. That you're aware of. But I mean, they're compiling a lot it's of information It's an investment. Yeah, they have plans, they have pricings, they have all this stuff. If you're really into this thing, then hop over to Klytics because they, that is their jam. And it might be your jam. If it is, that's fine. That's a cool um, resource. You can also probably use some stuff with Publisher Rocket. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, which I believe that's David Chesson at Kindlepreneur. He does that. Yes. Yes. And that you could do some different research there. I don't, you can compare pricing yourself and see how those work. If you want to be super cheap about this, you could probably just do your own category searches on Amazon and mm -hmm. spend hours and hours combing the data and seeing what is up at the top of the list, going through different groups, listening to what readers are saying. Again, listening to what readers are saying, not always what authors are writing. And you can do tests there. You can even go there and say, a, hey, you go into a particular group with one of your favorite tropes, so like it's a romance group of some kind, and say, hey, I want to combine this and this, would you read it? And I've seen that in groups, and I've seen people say, yes, write it now. Cool. And I've seen some people who got like literally hundreds of interested readers at their concepts. So you can even just pitch ideas there and make kind of, you know, the whole the marketplace of reader ideas. Yeah, market research, man. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Uh, and again, this is all of that's kind of your jam and your testing ground there. So if you're the kind of person that naturally tends towards mashups anyway, and you're maybe interested in doing that a little more intentionally, check into Klytics, check into Publisher Rocket, check into doing your own category searches, all of that stuff, and see if it works for you. And of course, if you don't want to bother with this, then don't. And that's okay, too. You do you. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> And speaking of all of that, we're going on to the main topic, which is that question from Jason McCoy, where he wanted to know, um, how do we approach editing, writing, marketing, publishing now versus when we got started? Um, so what was it like as new authors versus now? Uh, and the thing with this is that... We're going to tackle it in two episodes because we realize the first section of this has to do with how it changes based on experience. And this is a little more generalized to any author. You're going to approach things differently after book 5, 10, 20 than you are 
you know, after your first, second, or even third book, you really have to get like four or five publications under your belt to start feeling it. And this also, this also changes if you're rapid releasing when you're younger versus you're older, because some things just only happen with age and experience. And if you're younger and listening to this, I know you probably heard this all the time and you're like, (laughs) seriously, I can conquer the moon when I am 22. It'd be awesome. Like, yeah, I get that. And I was there. But as I'm 35 now, I'm kind of learning more that there are a lot of things that you can't write as well, tackle as well, until you've gone through some of that life experience. So that just changes things as well for you. Um, And when you're 15 years ahead where I am and I'm 15 years ahead, I'm sure we're never going to catch up to each other, but that's okay. We're all going to (laughs) groove. But in this case, um, the other thing is that times have changed a lot over the last, over when we've specifically been in publishing. Um, and one <laughs> times have that, changed significantly in two or three years, let alone six months, three yeah. months. It's a very publishing is a very unstable industry, both positively yeah. and negatively. That's just it's a double-edged industry. sword. Yes. So you know, but if you if you learn how to wield it. <laughs> And you can survive and maybe thrive. Or what you uh. yes. <laughs> so we're going to tackle uh, all the, the changes in terms of like how things are done in next week's episode. This week's episode, we're going to talk about how um, just the experience of having written so many books has changed. How we do things now versus when we were newer authors so that you can kind of get a window for that. And we can also mention some of the things we've seen that also bear out with our contemporaries who also write many more books now and some who even are ahead of us and have written like 70, 80, 90 books and are still going strong. Mm -hmm. Um, So Amy, what was it like with your first books, you know, writing, drafting those first books versus when you approach a project now? The, I think when I, I was very, very originally starting to write. I don't actually think I knew that I was writing a book. I I was just scribbling in a notebook, taking what was here and putting it on a page. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was maybe 15 or 16, um, I actually began to realize that, oh, there can be some intentionality Mm -hmm. in this. And so that's kind of where I consider that I got started officially was Mm -hmm. when I was probably 15 or 16. I'd been writing for years before then, but to sit down with a story that I had planned out and write it, I did that when I was 15 or 16, but I had no, I wasn't reading Mm -hmm. other books. I wasn't interested in tropes or things that were existing in the industry. Mm -hmm. I was only writing those stories pretty much to make myself happy mm-hmm. um because they were mine they were yeah. my safe place they were and somewhere in my little brain i had the idea that because they made me happy mm. they'd make everybody happy so you know why wouldn't everybody want my silly <laughs> little stories mm-hmm. and um so then as a now now where i'm at now I mean, I, and I wrote and wrote and wrote and, and learned the hard way. That's not the strategy you want to employ. If you want to be a professional and make a career out of 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just maybe. Just, it, just maybe. Yeah. A little bit. Just a little but bit. Uh, now, as uh, you think about your readers a lot mm-hmm. more, um, like with this with this nonfiction manuscript that I just finished, mm-hmm. um, I actually had to have an image in my mind of who mm-hmm. I was writing it for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it was it's a specific person who is interested in specific things and who is looking for specific answers, mm-hmm. and and that works with fiction that same way too because you've got to direct it. You've got to be it's more than just telling an intentional story Mm -hmm. that gets from point a to point b Mm -hmm. you have to be intentional in how you tell the story Mm -hmm. so that you don't force people out of it because you're going against something they expect or you're forcing them to suspend disbelief too far Mm -hmm. um so for me the biggest the biggest difference i think for me has been the awareness Mm -hmm. factor Mm -hmm. of some Someone is actually going to read what I'm writing and I want to make sure that it is the best experience possible for them mm-hmm. and it's not just making me happy mm-hmm. so I'd say that's what I have learned in that process over the last 40 years <laughs> 30 years 30. yeah not it's not 40 30, 30. I can't say, do math unless you were writing when you were like you know in, in the, utero in utero <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I don't know these things. Um, but yeah, and I say for me, my, my process was a bit different because when I started writing, like really writing, I did a lot of online kind of play-by-post RPGs. And that's where I started writing. Oh, so that's those cool. Were, those were like in the early 2000s. Um, and so you'd go into message boards and you would write just these big chunks of paragraphs and different stories and everything. And so um, you create the character sheet, you disc out, you know, out of OOC threads, you discuss what the character's going to do next and all of that. And I was involved in a couple, about three or four forums at once sometimes. So it was all very relational. And then out of that, I started writing my own stories and my own threads because I just loved writing so much. And so I was always conscious of people reading what I wrote. And I was always conscious of the outs of people around me and what they were thinking and that kind of stuff. And I'd get comments back on things and... Um, that was my extent. I had a lot of like people who liked my threads on um, the different RPG things, my individual story threads. I didn't really go into fan fiction or fiction press that much. Um, I liked the more direct interaction of that. Like I just really loved that. But as I started like getting older and such um, and writing my first books, I realized that as a new author, because that was like when I was a teenager. So then I, when I was wrote my first book like full length. <laughs> that actually had a plot and a beginning and ending and didn't just like kind of exist as an RPG side story. Um, oh, let's see. I was really caught off guard by how much the perspective of others impacted me. And so that, oh. it, that is a good different perspective from yours is that I got so much feedback. I had a lot of people who were really interested in it. I publishing house interested in it. And they all had things they wanted me to change or fix or tweak. And I learned a lot through doing that. But at the end, I abandoned the project. And one of the reasons I did was that I was taking so much feedback in that I mm-hmm. lost sense of what I cared about in the story and really what I wanted to do with it to begin with, which I think at the beginning, it was very much just needed to be a heart story that I needed to write. I have no regrets about that. I won the Create Space Challenge in 2009. I have that book on my shelf. <laughs> You don't get to read it, but it's there. <laughs> um, and so now when I'm writing, 
um, I have a much stronger sense of both like when to take feedback from others and when to know what I just need to write and to keep my blinders on and to write the story that I know will work. Even if a couple of readers don't get it or even if I share something, I don't get all the feedback I want, which is great because when you're sharing things on social media, sometimes people aren't going to see your excerpt posts because of the algorithms. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It means they didn't see it. <laughs> and so with that, it I feel a lot more free now to like do the research, know the tropes, know what I'm doing, listen to my inner circle of writing people, but then not have to take in everyone's advice or get everyone's opinion all the time. So that's very freeing for me for my latest book. It's like, you know, I'm just going to write the next book that I need to write and it's going to happen. So I think that is a good perspective for you out there in the audience. You know, you might be warm or Amy was where it's like, okay, this is what I really love. And now you're saying, okay, who am I writing for? Or you might be someone who, one of my strengths and weaknesses is always being trying to be attentive to people and trying to connect with them. But the problem is sometimes, you know, the story, they can't ultimately write your story for you. Right. You have to write there. So you have to have, make sure there's enough motivation in that book to get you through it. And if you keep borrowing motivation from whether people like, it's not going to be enough at the end of the day for you sitting down at the computer screen. So I like that. So hopefully that encourages in either way. Well, and that kind of leads into what, we're talking about yeah. next is because mm-hmm. you, you talked about feedback. Yes. And so what about editing? So what, what was your first editing experience? Like having an edit? Mm-hmm. What was it like the first time you received an edit mm-hmm. versus <laughs> the latest time you received an edit? It was really humbling because in my circles, I was the smart one who knew how to edit. I knew how to do typo, how to fix typos. I love grammar. Um, I'm a weird person. I'm very, I'm very like, scattered but I'm also I love grammar and I love I love the process of doing that stuff um so to have to like surrender a manuscript to someone else and to get feedback was hard and again at first I kind of went from extremes of I'm going to take every comment to I'm not going to take any comment because I wasn't sure how to process through it I wasn't sure what I cared about what I didn't care about and so I'd go from like accepting everything to saying no no none of this nope I know what I'm doing and that was really hard to navigate through all of it, especially because I was still working with, you know, different readers and such and take, not sure how to take their opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I frustrated a couple early editors who tried to work with me because I didn't know where I was. <laughs> so I am sorry. <laughs> um, versus now, I found an editor who works with my brain. Uh, she's very level-headed. She's very grounded. And so one of her main things is to sit there with me and go, okay, you are super smart. You're getting your own head. You need to unclever this and be a little clear. You, know? <laughs> you need to be a little more direct with this, you know, a little more just straightforward. You know, I don't know what's going on here. I think you stuffed too many ideas in here. And over the years of working with her, like I've gotten a lot better at that. Now she's like, yeah, like by the time I get it, it's a lot easier. But it definitely took like those first books were a real journey of figuring out what I wanted to say, what I should accept, what I shouldn't accept. And I don't think I understood or respected enough how long it would take me to develop the muscles of discernment. And I think a lot of new authors, when you're going through your first edits, you don't understand how much brain power it's going to take to go through those edits and really wrestle with your own style, taste, what is part of who you are and what is something you can get rid of. So what do you think, Amy? What's your perspective? Well, um, that's, 
you said humbling. That was absolutely my experience. Um, I didn't, the very first book that I ever had a professional edit on um, was actually um, Nameless in the Destiny trilogy. Oh my. And um, because I'd been in critique groups and I'd been in writing classes and I'd been in I'd been in all of those things. Like in college, we had a, a fiction workshop that we had to take mm -hmm. that basically you would present your story and then the entire class would just tear it apart. So oh I was I was used yeah. to mm -hmm. critique and feedback and mostly negative right. feedback. Um, but <sighs> with my very first professional edit, I had worked my tail off mm -hmm. to make sure that this book was as good as I could get it. And I was like, huh? it's great. It's perfect. It's everything's fine. Yeah. There'll be a few things that need to be tweaked. Oh boy. <laughs> it was a bloodletting. Um, poor, my poor editor killed like five pens on it. Oh, and, my. and it was, and it was, it was an interesting situation for me because now looking back on it, mm -hmm. um, I wasn't upset. I wasn't upset at my editor at all. My response was, how could I have submitted a manuscript this bad to, <sighs> to an editor? That was how I came at it. Cause I, my first thought was, I thought it was ready. I thought it was good. And, mm -hmm. and that was, that was my reaction to it was mm -hmm. to back away and think, oh my gosh, I failed. <laughs> and Man, you it, gotta take time. You gotta take time. You gotta process it. You know, you have to process through these things. And I, what I, what I love the most about mm -hmm. my journey, as far as learning how to take edits, mm -hmm. um, which is, I, is too much information, but that that trilogy, the Destiny trilogy, mm -hmm. the the first book, all three books were a bloodletting when <laughs> when the edit came through. Mm -hmm. But what was fantastic about it was that by the third book, the comments were different. Oh, nice. The editor was finding different things to fix, and mm -hmm. uh, which was encouraging for me because it showed me that I had grown. Mm -hmm. as an as an author mm -hmm. but in comparison so if you look mm -hmm. my first my first professional edit would have been i guess around 2013 mm -hmm. and now when i get an edit back my initial response of course of course there's some uh -huh. gnashing of teeth yes. there always will be <laughs> mm -hmm. but my my reaction is not to look at it as though i am a failure or that the book wasn't wasn't ready mm -hmm. it, it wasn't ready that's why you have an edit done. Yeah, that's the um, point of it. Yeah. And it's not it's not that I'm a failure. It's just that the editor is my partner who right. is helping me polish and take the book to a level where more people can connect right. with it. And right. it's it's like you said, it's kind of getting out of my head mm -hmm. and and being able to polish it to the place where it is broadly appealing. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. not just to people who know my squirrels right and so it's it, but it, it has been a humbling journey for me all across the board because there i didn't know what i didn't know mm -hmm. and to to have to learn how to take like you said to take criticism and take feedback and then but still to stick to my guns right. at the places where where i felt were essential to the story Mm -hmm. But to balance it in a way that, well, if they're not getting it, then maybe I can still clarify something and mm -hmm. still keep the core of what I 
wanted. So it's it's learning that process in the back and forth, which was and, always and really understanding cool. Understanding that book editing is not the same as getting your work marked up by a teacher. That was a yes. good point you meant because I, in college, I also took a lot of writing classes and everything, and I was used to getting the feedback, both positive and negative. I had some professors who were good about both. Um, but with that, like you're really you don't have as much control over it. Like often it's like at the end when you get your grade. You know, especially when you're in more advanced writing classes, maybe they'll give you a couple of test drafts for you to learn. But after a while in writing classes, your job is to write the copy as quickly as you can. And then they're just going to like grade you on that. Because if you're going to do news writing, write the copy, like, you know, they'll still scrub it down. That's it. So the idea of your inverted pyramid. (laughs) So I still remember like having to like crank out this stuff in my, like my, you know, my, then boyfriend would look at me and be like what are you doing I'm like I'm a writing I'm, I'm in writing so I'd have to write this really fast he doesn't mind he, now he's my husband now he doesn't write fast he looked at me like why would you do that to yourself I'm like I, I chose to he's yeah. like, why would you do that to yourself I ask myself that question every day <laughs> so um so this whole idea of like looking at the audience and ultimately you know it's your choice it's very odd to kind of like have that power over your own book, but also want it to connect and have to figure all that out. Yeah. So if you're newer to this, it's going to take you a bit to figure all of that stuff out. It's just the way it goes. And maybe you're in a genre that you know really well, it's easier. But if you want to hop to a different genre, that's the beautiful thing about fiction, especially, but also nonfiction. You hop a genre and you have to learn the rules again. Yeah. Because they're different. The way Which and that's... You know, to that point is different than a horror is different than all of yeah. that <laughs> you want to make sure that your editor is familiar with the genre or they're willing to research it so yeah. like what we do with author elevate is we do market focus work and we say that we're not trying to shove you into the market we're not trying to force you to like change everything but we're trying to make you aware of what the market's doing and how your book measures up to that and not so that you can make those mindful choices yeah, because genre is more than just a category. It's a promise to your readers mm-hmm, that you're mm-hmm. going to fulfill certain expectations. Mm-hmm. So, And a lot of things that proper grammatical people say are the way to do things do not sell in prose on the market. They just don't. You can okay? end a sentence with a preposition. It's okay. All the time. <laughs> like, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Um, all kinds of stuff. So... Moving on to publishing the first books versus publishing now. Now, this is, we're going to do a lot more of this in next week's because publishing has a lot to do with um, how the industry has changed. A lot about that. Um, I mean, I, I think just off the top of my head in terms of internally, when I'm publishing now, I don't freak out as much as I used to. Yes. <laughs> Because I really, I don't, I don't want to tackle this one too much because it has so much to do with like how the industry has changed. But like I, you know, publishing was this big, this big deal. I'm not saying it shouldn't be a big deal, but kind of now you're like, oh yeah, let's just, let's do this. Like when you're first starting out. no, there's a typo. (laughs) And, and to be fair, this is also where it depends on what your big trad versus indie. Yes. Because if you're big trad and they're getting these big orders. Then there's a typo, you're stuck with it for all those books. You ordered this big yeah. shipment and it's not going to be easy to change. Yeah. A thousand yes. copies you have to move and there's nothing you can do about it. One, the printing process is different. Mm-hmm. 
versus like you know indie indie pub the idea of print on demand digital pub like maybe aesthetically it's not as pretty i i respect that there is a difference in the way it looks but you just upload a new file and you're good to go yeah Ta-da. so there's pros and cons to both angles there but when i was trying to get those first books out um man it was so overwhelming you learn a lot right away if you're indie pubbing out there um, you're going to learn right away what things you're good at and what things you really need to hand off to someone else. My first, um, my book, my world building books, I indie pubbed them and I learned right away that I never want to format another book for as long as I live ever. <laughs> I did not know I could despise something as much as I despise that. And I'm a detailed person. Like I can get through 200 pages of a manuscript and love it. But for some reason, the act of formatting a book just makes me want to pull my hair out. And I learned after that, I am always going to hire this out, if at all possible. Um, and that was a bit of a big deal for me, because I'm a slight control freak. And so having to say, no, I'm always going to trust someone else to do this um, was a bit challenging at first, but I just could not stand it. So if you're indie publishing your first books, listen to what you're good at and what you're not good at, and be humble enough to find other people to help you out and build your team. It's really important. I don't see enough indie authors working on building their own team, having the people that they connect with who do different things for them, um, who give them feedback on certain stuff and everything. You do not have to go it alone, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> and then if you're publishing with a trad house or a small press, uh, stop looking at your indie pub friends. It's going to look different from you. <laughs> Um, put blinders on. When they're doing things one way, you're going to do things differently. It's okay. <laughs> um, trust the house that you signed with. And that's a big yeah, thing. Like, it benefits them if you mm -hmm. do well. So they're yes. not going to, they're not going to make a bad decision. Now that being so. said, scrutinize your house very closely. And I will say exactly. that like we run the UP, we want authors to scrutinize. If you're going to run a different direction, if you have a different vibe than you do, go to another press. It's Please. okay. Okay. We want good fits here. Don't, we've actually, I'd have sometimes where I told authors who had great books, she's like, you know what? We're not the house for you. Yeah. You should indie this because you could do so much better than, you know, our longer timelines and different ways we do things. That's okay. So if you're going, you know, be really sure when you're signing that contract for the indie or small press or big press or even agent that restricts your use of it, be sure you're really comfortable with that. And then once you sign that document, you know, just breathe and move on. And if you're having regrets, Phil then you can find other places to move to. Like, I know that's hard. We, we can spend a whole other episode talking about yeah. what it feels like if you did something that you regret. That's not going to be for today. But what are your thoughts on publishing first books versus publishing now? It's pretty much exactly what you said, very honestly. Because when I first started, I was intent on doing everything myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mind formatting. I mean, I was like, I, I, if, if it will save me a couple bucks, I will, there's the Scottish again. If it will <laughs> save me a couple of bucks, I'll, I'll do everything myself. But that's the <laughs> fast track to burnout, man. Because mm -hmm. um, there are there are so many moving pieces in in indie publishing, and if mm -hmm. you you might be able to manage fairly well with one book, mm -hmm. you might be okay with two. But the more books you start publishing, and the more that you have to keep track of, and the more that you have to juggle, mm -hmm. yeah, no, you 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 must have a team of people. 
mm-hmm. who will help you get all the things done. And it will depend on who you are. Like if you're the kind of person that can do a lot of stuff yourself, what can't you do? Right. Because the thing is, there's only so many hours in a day. Well, and there, there is, there are the things that you don't like doing. Absolutely. You, mm-hmm. you should hire out to someone, but then there's the other question of what are the things that only you can do? Mm-hmm. That, that was, that was a question that, that my assistant has asked me many times mm-hmm. was this thing that you're doing, that you're spending time and energy and focus and brain power on. Is it something else that somebody else could do? Yeah. Or is it the one thing that you can do? Mm-hmm. Because if it's the one thing that I can do, nobody else can do that. I can't teach anybody else to write mm-hmm. in, in this world or write this book or do this character thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it's, if it is at all possible for me to do the one thing that I, that only I can do mm-hmm. and then bring other people into the process to, to help do the things that are less specific then everybody wins. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an important question to ask. And I will speak to the elephant in the room about the publishing thing. Those of you who are making your own covers, do it well or don't do it. And I, I'm totally fine if you want to. I'm not someone who's getting kickbacks from the design people, even though I know like, I have, I know many, many cover designers because <laughs> I use them a lot. Um, but I, I'm fine with you wanting to go and do your brave and wild indie thing. That's fine. But put in the work to do a good job with it. Have the humility to put your cover in on indie group, indie cover groups and get their very honest feedback and take it. All right. And the same thing with book blurbs. Do it well or hire it out. Don't take a middle ground of doing a lukewarm job and then wondering why your book isn't selling. Okay. It's kind of obvious. So <laughs> I know this is a little bit hard, but like this is not an area where you can like do half-baked about it. There are so many, like, like we said, so many moving pieces mm-hmm. and so many elements mm-hmm. that if you refuse to be teachable mm-hmm. and if you refuse to learn and if, you know, it's okay, do it, do it your way, but then learn from what you did. Like the very Which first book do. that I, the yeah. very first book that I indie published was awful it was so bad Mm -hmm. and it actually predated it may have predated create space oh my goodness i mean it 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 was or create space may have been brand new and which is why i didn't go with them Mm -hmm. because i didn't i didn't trust them quite yet i went with lulu you went with lulu oh my i went with lulu i know oh um yeah never again um but i had to look at that and see what worked and what didn't work Mm -hmm. and then the next time i published um for myself it was a lot easier because i i'd learned things Mm -hmm. and so it's okay to learn things but but in order to learn things you have to be teachable about it you can't just keep doing the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over again Mm -hmm. and expecting different results there's a definition for that i think it's called psychosis okay (laughs) not that we're saying anything about you not at all. No, no, we're not. <laughs> well, as long as I can say it about myself, because I've been there <laughs> multiple times. And the thing is, if you look at publishing houses, like be ready to be teachable later on. Publishing houses yeah. change covers on books. They switch up blurbs on books. They switch up the way books look. It's what you do. There's no shame in this. 
Like the industry changes, expectations change, trends and design change. The way you market certain genres changes. All of that. Yeah. And speaking about marketing. Marketing. marketing first book versus marketing now. This is another one that's going to come into for a lot more next week. I, I was going to say, this will probably be one good for next week because yes. of how things have changed. Mar- but first of all, marketing changes all the time. All the time. All the time. Marketing is like one giant stock market. There are parts of it that you can control, but how you express yourself and that how your brand is expressed through those channels is always going to change because the channels are always going to change. Hey, it, making a similar connection to what we talked about last week, because mm-hmm. we also said that social media was like the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, but if you think about that social media, think about how often it changes. Mm-hmm. The algorithms have to change the way that people interact with each other have to change. The, mm-hmm. the way relationships are built mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. changes. That's marketing. It's the same thing. Yep. So, and I think marketing was the part that I, again, I, I love marketing. So I think that's the one that I like enjoyed the most. Yeah. I was that weirdo that I like made my first website in GeoCities when I was 12. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did that. I had a GeoCities website. I did. Oh, I started playing around with FAQ pages and about pages and this and that. And I just kept playing around with it because I like it. I enjoyed it. I was, I've always had that fascination with that. When I was a kid, I wanted to, uh, I, I, one of my class projects was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to com- com- produce commercials. So I was a strange child. <laughs> I love um, it. And partly because I was just fascinated about how they communicate things to people and how they, they, how they used words and visuals and such. It always interested me. Um, so marketing was always fun for me. I think the trick is now is un- I've understood a lot more of how to be myself in it. So it's going back to my, my issue with this thing is always I would change depending on whoever wanted me to look a certain way or um, what book I was trying to sell, which is not sustainable either. You know, So I would like change my platform all the time like constantly change my platform and my, my about and all of this. It got exhausting after a while. So, uh, <laughs> shout out to, uh, until I signed up for Kate Putnam stuff where she was like, are you tired of changing your platform every six months? I'm like, I feel very cold. Out. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really helpful for me in a particular area to like figure out how to like stay in one niche. Um, but yeah, so marketing, in terms of my own brand and who, how I show up, it's become a lot more stable now because I understand a lot more of who I am as a person. I don't feel the need to change that based on every single other book. And I've actually developed a lot of methods based on my own experiences to help authors to find brands that will grow with you. Um, because I know for authors, if you're writing in, you know, you want to write in this genre and then this genre and this genre, there can be a huge pressure to try to like brand out to all those genres. And if you really want to, I'm not going to stop you, but I'd rather you be writing your books. Just saying. Um, So marketing now, I'm a lot more confident about staying put. (laughs) What works, what doesn't. Um, How to build up core investments. Like, I think a lot of times it was a little bit easier for me because social media, again, this is going back to the times changing. I got on Facebook in 2005 when it was for college students and we threw sheep at each other. Okay. So. <laughs> and threw people out windows. Oh, we did that. Yep. And like, they're just all these random groups that like, it was just a complete college free for all thing. Yeah. 
Um, and then when it started becoming more commercialized and everything, and I had to like go back and I just quickly deleted everything because I was a teacher and I needed to maintain a professional persona. So college went away. I deleted everything, etc. Uh, not that I had anything super embarrassing, but I mean, it was college. It was a playpen. I didn't really have to think about what I said. Um, but because all that changed, I never had the sense that social media was my market because social media was just something that you, you know, it just kind of showed up and grew as I grew. But I think now for authors, it's really important to build up your core, core assets. That sounds very cold. Your core assets, your core tribe, your core fan base. That's something that's timeless. People have known for centuries about that is building up your core clientele and not getting so distracted by social media. And so for new authors now, I can see a lot more of just wanting to get distracted by social media, feel like you have to be on it or don't have to be on it, or not understanding where to put all your energy. Whereas now I can look at all the shinies and everyone's saying, get on this new expects thing, get on this next best thing, no, this next best thing, no, this one. Everyone is shouting at you to listen to them and kind of put on the blinders and say, no, I am going to make sure that I am nurturing and appreciating the readers who have followed me this far. I am going to invest in these books that I enjoy and I'm going to like make sure that they're quality and I'm not going to just be pulled around everywhere and that's a real temptation I think nowadays. What do you think Amy? Well for me it was I absolutely I'm exactly with you. Mm -hmm. um, um, for, for me I think what I learned the most mm -hmm. throughout this journey um, when I first started writing and I first started had to having to market things, mm -hmm. I, I, I will say I hate, I hated marketing, <laughs> hated it. Um, and I was always so much better at marketing somebody else's stuff. Mm -hmm. I could, I could sit and sell somebody else's stuff all day mm -hmm. long, but if somebody came and asked me about my stuff, oh, that's self-serving. I don't want to be self-serving and selfish. Oh, that's, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and so that was something I struggled with for many, many, many years. And actually, I don't, I don't remember when I, I finally started coming to understand. Actually, I think it was at Rome Makers. I think it was the year that uh, Mary Weber was the keynote. Um, I remember her saying something and it just hit, it resonated in a way mm -hmm. that something that this had not hit me before. Mm -hmm. the, the fact of the matter is I, I love to write and I write because I love to tell stories right but at the heart of everything i write there's always a message mm -hmm. and there's always something that that i hope will bless or encourage or inspire someone or mm -hmm. challenge them to think about what it means to follow jesus and right. and look at the world in a different way or or look at this person that you think you know maybe you mm -hmm. don't know them as well as you think you do mm -hmm. i there's always a question at the core of everything right. i do and it's there to benefit the people who read the story right and that is valuable. Mm -hmm. That is something that will be beneficial to people who read it. Mm -hmm. And if I really believe that, right, then it's not me being selfish mm -hmm. to tell people about it. It's me mm -hmm. providing a resource. Right. It's me. This is this is this thing, this thing that I created that mm -hmm. is based on my personal life experiences and what I have learned mm -hmm. in story format. Here, you read it and maybe it'll help you too. Right. And oh, by the way, I could stand to, you know, make a couple bucks, you know, so that I can keep writing. Right. I mean, and it's, it's not, it is well, not a. Also, people don't value it quite as much. If you give it away for free. Exactly. Yeah, give them some kind of skin in the game. Yeah. But I, but that's been 
my biggest, I, I would say, journey as far as marketing goes. Mm-hmm. Do I do I love it now? Well, I can't say that I love it, but honestly, it's become so organic um, now. In that, mm-hmm. in that, it's a lot easier for me to tell people I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. This is what I write. This is right. why I do it. And if you're interested, here's where you find it. Mm-hmm. And and it it no longer feels so icky. Icky, mm-hmm. you know, a very specific <laughs> vocabulary term. Um, exactly. So- but, <laughs> but it it had to become. It had to come to a place where I, I could actually value what I was writing beyond the fact that it just made me happy, but mm-hmm. that it could be beneficial to somebody else. And once I got there, it became a lot easier for me to talk about it. So, yeah, as I say, marketing is communication. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it. And there's different ways to look at it. And we're talking marketing. When you're going to the actual nuts and bolts of sales and conversions, we may do an episode in that in the future, probably will. That's a lot more granular. That's a lot more specific. It's a lot more strategic. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more like systematized. Um, And so we're not specifically talking about like, sales conversions all of that stuff that's it's a whole other ballgame we're just talking about how you're going to show up and talk to people and say this is what you do this is what you stand for and attracts them in that way marketing is all relational yep relational it's it's relationship and that's and that's where social media can play such a powerful role because like i i do most of my work stuff on facebook Mm-hmm. Um, which is a little unusual because most other people who write what I write have found better success on other platforms. Mm-hmm. But I've been on Facebook for so long and I have treated it like my tribe. It's my community of people. Right. And people know you there. Yeah. Most of the people who I'm friends with on Facebook, I know personally. Mm-hmm. And we have a connection that's existing. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't, I don't use social media for news or trends or anything i use it because i connect with people there and once you connect with someone you know find where you are able to connect with people Mm -hmm. and then just be yourself and be honest about what you're doing and what the lord is doing in you and people are interested because they care about you so that's that's the way i have learned how to market and it if if you had told me (laughs) i was gonna say if you'd have told me 10 years ago 15 years ago that this was marketing, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have believed you because it's, it feels natural to me mm-hmm. to just, because it's part of who I am. And so. just by the way, um, for those of you out there wondering how we do all this stuff and all the details behind it, and also different ways to do it, because if you're not as relational, then there are actually other marketing opportunities we talked about last week. We talked about social and then data-driven stuff. Um, in the fall, we are launching... Um, the fearless book marketing method. And it's great for all of you out there who you've gone through the real hard edge stuff. You've gone through the serious business. You've had people give you the stern talk and to, you know, put on your big girl or big boy pants and do the thing. And it's still not clicking with you. Or if you're just starting out or if you're burned out, this is the place for you um, to figure out how to show up fearlessly and effectively without burning out and making it a habit so that's a quick shout out for that i it, it's not going to launch to the fall but if you're interested in it then you can click the wait list below on that but it's, it's going to be a lot of fun we're both really passionate about this yeah. and well and there's because there's no there is no one size fits all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know you can you can make broad sweeping generalizations but at the same time everybody has to figure out how this works for them 
Right, right. And there has to be a middle ground between like, you know, learning about the conversions, learning about all of the technical stuff. Of course, that's legitimate. But also figuring out how it relates to you and how you can do it on a sustainable basis that's not going to make you exhausted. And... (laughs) Keyword, sustainable. Sustainable, sustainable. (laughs) So that's the quick shout out for that. But we will definitely talk more about, you know, where where things were before and where they are now in our next episode. For now, uh, make sure that you uh, subscribe. Don't forget to do that because we'd hate for you to miss out on the next episode. Um, Wherever you are at, if it's YouTube or anything else. And also, uh, check us out on our Author Elevate Jam Session or the Author Elevate Mastermind. So what's the jam session about, Amy? The jam session, Mm -hmm. other than just being an awesome place to hang out and Mm -hmm. party about books and stuff, it's our public facebook page so everyone is welcome there you can jump in like us join the conversations we have prompts talking about story ideas or what you're doing in your marketing or what your different strategies are and so that's a great place to engage just to kind of get a feel for for how we roll and and who we are and everything versus uh, or compared to the mastermind group which that's the one that if you support us on Patreon, you get into mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. And that's more one-on-one attention, more mm-hmm. more conversation type stuff. Yeah, so. and you get lots of exclusives on this podcast, including yes. you get the episodes early. And we're going to be adding more shinies to that later. We're very much a kind of thing of go and do it and then add more later. So I would recommend you get on this thing now because we have some yeah. really cool stuff planned. And you don't want to miss out on that. Either. Spoilers! but regardless thank you so much for showing up here today and uh make sure that you go forth and be awesome bye guys